Welcome. I'm Gretchen Keith-Steidel, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast, stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this 10-part series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practice, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, my name is Reza Jaffer, and I'm the founder of Global Sustainability Network. I cultivate my soul by trying to connect with people one-on-one, truly from the bottom of my heart. We are joined by Raza Jaffer. Raza co-founded the Global Sustainability Network with Monsignor Sanchez and Bishop Alistair Redfern. The GSN is a platform that brings leaders from across a diverse range of sectors to achieve Sustainable Development Goal 8 for decent work and economic growth. This includes ending modern-day slavery. Since its incorporation in 2016, the GSN holds events every year at places like Lambeth Palace, the Vatican, and the United Nations, leading hundreds of global changemakers to form alliances to achieve SDG 8 by the year 2030. His full bio is on our podcast website. Raza's is an amazing story of humble curiosity and extraordinary impact. You'll learn why giving is an attitude, not a privilege, and how by being yourself and embracing what you want to do, not what you have to do, you can dream big and act on a global scale. Welcome, Raza. I'm so excited to have a chance to learn more about the amazing work that you are doing on ending modern slavery. But I want to first start with a story from your childhood. Can you share a story from your childhood that helps us understand your earliest exposure to inner awareness, religion, or a sense of spirituality and how it shaped you? I'm born in Pakistan. And since childhood, I was exposed to religion that was practiced quite deeply by my mother, especially. My father was not so religious, but my mother, uh, she was, she used to pray very regularly. And I was exposed to praying to us, to the Lord and wherever he is and whoever it is, they knew, we knew that there is a superior being, which we are praying to, who has a bigger control over all of us and is a creator of everything. So that's the mindset I grew up with. However, at the age of 18, I lost my right eye in a car accident and I was about to go blind and I was in a dark room for seven weeks. And during that time, I really, really did not know who's out there, who's our creator, but I did feel from the bottom of my heart that I'll be fine because there's somebody looking out for me. And those people, it was not only somebody as in a superior being, it was through people, it was through connection, and it really, really helped me right from the beginning. That must have been so deeply reassuring. Absolutely. The fact that I didn't go blind, which was uh, one of the things I was expecting, or the doctors were suspecting that I have sympathetic ophthalmitis, 
and I may end up uh, being blind at a very young age. I was only 18 years old. But, you know, somebody's looking out there and I feel that, you know, whatever it is, we are connected to something. Indeed. Also understand that your sense of philanthropy started at a very early age. Can you tell us more about where you developed that sense of a desire to create positive change? I continue to say this to all my friends, that I feel giving is an attitude and not just a privilege. When I hear from a lot of my friends and amazing people that, you know, they made so much money and they thought it's time to give back, that's also nice to do. But I think it's always time to give back. You're always given so much, your health, your wisdom, your relationships, your family, this beautiful earth. I think we should have gratitude and we need to be giving back, even if it's something small, even if it's just a smile or a seat to somebody who deserves it more than you. As long as you have the giving attitude, I think you'll be a much happier person and make people around you a lot happier. You have a very deep, authentic sense of generosity and humility. Was there a moment that was the catalyst for that orientation? I've thought about it many times because I've been asked this question before. And I really wish I could say something really amazing and that could be so exciting. But unfortunately, I don't think that a moment comes to my mind. It just somehow maybe it's, it just grew up my friends, my family, my surrounding. I think it is something that is encouraged all around us. Well, let me ask you then more specifically about discovering your purpose and how you would define that, how you discovered the cause that you really wanted to work on. That's a very good question. This is something that I discovered probably in 2005 or 6, first ever time when I was invited for university for a night organized by the Global Philanthropic Circle. Even though I started my charity and philanthropy at a very young age and started with giving blood for blood foundation and then moving on to making schools and supporting hospitals and other initiatives, I really truly started to understand the possibility of making an impact or a global impact that the GPC can bring to reality by bringing like-minded people from around the world and then supportive people who can encourage one another, complement one another, and help you dream big and implement big. I was invited by Peggy to this Montana retreat, and that was the life-changing event for me. Once I went out there, I could really work on understanding what I want to do rather than what I have to do, because since childhood, I've been doing what I had to do. And after that trip, I started to work on what I want to do. I'm sure so many of us can relate to this drive to do what we have to do, what's expected of us versus what we really want to. What was the practice or the transformative moment that you experienced, if you're willing to share, that helped you identify that true calling of what you want to do in the world? And can you tell us what it is? One of the exercises that we were asked to do while we were in the mountain and while we were on our own for three days with no food, just having water, living in a pop-up tent, which was very unusual for me because I'm in hospitality, in luxury hospitality. <laughs> I would be concerned about the dessert after lunch and then not just being fasting for three days and having 
cayenne pepper and water that made me realize that probably the most wonderful sleep I had in the mountain in a pop-up tent and uh, worked on the exercise of the deathbed exercise, picturing yourself on your deathbed and one by one everybody comes to bid farewell to you. And you have a chat with your mother, your family, your loved ones, your people who you did wrong to, people who wronged you, people who you never acknowledged or appreciated. And that was really an amazing experience because it just made me cry. So I was crying, nobody was judging me. And I could really feel my children who were literally, in my imagination, hosting the guests, offering them pleasantries, just waiting for them to talk to me. And uh, that really broke my heart, seeing my daughter do that. But the good news is, I wasn't on my deathbed, and I could make the change that I needed to make. And that really opened up my eyes to so many things which I was holding on to, which I really didn't need to. So I started to realize slowly and gradually, nothing happened overnight, but at least it got into the direction. And it's still taking shape. I'm not there yet, but I'm trying to get there. What a beautiful and profound experience. How does your inner work influence your outer work today? It just makes it more honest and open. I feel like there is not much gap between what I'm feeling and what I'm saying and what I'm doing. My effort is to reduce the gap between all of that. If I'm not feeling good about something, I better not be doing it. And if I'm feeling good about something, I better be expressing it, sharing it. So my outer work gets seriously impacted with my inner work, which helps me connect with myself. And it helps me connect with other people. It has truly shortened my time to get to know people and build trust. And it has helped me severely in my objective of bridging leadership. I have met people in very important positions and important, I don't mean financially only, I mean politically and philanthropically. And it doesn't take me as much time to build that trusted relationship only because I feel I can connect with honesty. That's a powerful realization that we could all embrace. So this process of investing in the inner work really supports you in connecting more deeply, building trusting relationships and I understand that the work you're doing through the Global Sustainability Network depends on these relationships built around trust to be able to form alliances to make a major impact on Sustainable Development Goal 8. Can you tell us about your social impact work, what you're doing right now, and how it's unfolding around this issue? Sure. Again, through Synergos and through that trip to Montana, I came across one of the GPC members who introduced me to the concept of triple bottom line, economic, social, and environmental impact. And I truly wanted to adopt it. I am quite open about the facts, and I did not know much about it. So once I learned about it, it made sense to me. I told my staff, Colin Xiao in those days, Colin, I just want to make sure that we look at our triple bottom line. And we could see our environmental impact, we could see our economic impact, but we could not quantify our social impact. I even came up with the ideas of maybe we should create social bonds, social currency, social value, but none of that worked. So I failed in developing any of that. But I did look at what can a business do 
negatively to a society. And I saw the negative social impact of business is human exploitation. That's how I came across bonded labor, forced slavery, and all these areas. And that's when we came across the idea of looking at modern-day slavery. A very dear friend of mine from Australia, he started working on focusing on child sex trafficking because his daughter came across such incidents in Far East. I don't know exactly where. So moving forward, we ended up focusing on modern-day slavery, started making the awareness about it, and then got a first-ever fatwa against modern-day slavery, got the faith leaders to have a joint declaration, and then eventually the United Nations adopted ending modern-day slavery as one of the SDGs in Goal 8. Now, being result-oriented all my life, we realized that it's wonderful for UN to make announcements and say wonderful things, but a lot of things UN says does not really get implemented because of resources, because of political problem, because of lack of efficiency. Whatever the reason is, we wanted to play our part rather than sit on the fence and point finger. We said, let us do whatever we can to do maximum in our capacity in creating collaboration between faith, governments, businesses, media, and nonprofits to work in achieving goal eight. Hence, we created an organization with called Global Sustainability Network, bringing people from all these sectors and creating a platform for collaboration for everybody. That's the main objective of Global Sustainability Network. We started off with the 20 members. We've got over 15, 1600 members now. We're just in a phase where we're going to start a countdown. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. We were just about to launch the countdown 2030 and we would like to start seeing the progress the world is making specifically to goal number eight. Can you tell us what your greatest success story is so far in this work? It's very difficult to point any one success story because every little success is such a huge achievement. One of the greatest success story was to get the faith involved in issuing a first ever fatwa against slavery. That actually triggered the Church of England to issue a similar document. And then after that, that triggered the Vatican. And Vatican also joined into that. There was already work being done by the Vatican. There's already work being done by the Church of England. But it wasn't all being done together. And I think it is only together with all sectors from faith, government, businesses, nonprofits. Media and academia needs to get together to achieve certain big objectives in life. That's a pretty amazing accomplishment considering your work has only been initiated in the last few years. What frustrations have you encountered in trying to move forward change on such a global level? You know, that also, I'm going to go back on your last question and give an answer for both of these together. There was one more thing that we did, but it caused a serious amount of frustration, where we used technology, which was being adopted by one of the GSN, so instead of calling it Global Sustainability Network all the time, I'm just going to start calling it GSN now. One of the GSN members, who was already using facial recognition software for their aviation business, offered it to another GSN member who used it for recovering 3,000 missing children through facial recognition 
from one of the major cities of the world and recovered these children just in four days. This was a major achievement, using technology to recover missing children. But the frustration part, now the second question of yours, frustration part is, we did this about two and a half, three years ago. We have not been able to roll it out worldwide because of bureaucracy, because of countries and cities feeling uncomfortable sharing data of the missing children. It shows incompetency of local forces that they couldn't do it and somebody else came from outside and did that. So, so there are frustrations that there are a lot of governments, a lot of uh, authorities, especially in the developing world, are not taking this subject seriously enough. So that's what is the biggest frustration. To begin with, the monumental task of engaging the UN in incorporating modern-day slavery as a component of SDG 8 is extraordinary. And then to go on to bring together the world's major religions in, in each coming out with their declaration against it is extremely powerful. How did you manage to get these different major global entities to come together with a common vision? So let me clarify one thing. For UN, it wasn't just us. There were an amazing bunch of people from Kevin Hyland, Monsignor Sanchez-Sorandos. It was uh, a lot of people who have been involved in trying to do this work. So there were people from all over the world working on trying to include ending slavery in SDGs. We may be a contributor to it, but we can't take the full credit for it. However, bringing the faith leaders together, again, I must compliment my friend and the chairman of Walk Free Foundation, Andrew Forrest, who dreams big and he follows up like anything. And I remember, you know, he thought that, you know, we could all get together and we will get everybody to sign one document. Let's fly into Iraq and let's go into all these places. There were some countries he said, let's fly in there. Why can't we fly in there? And I had to tell him, I know there's no doubt we can fly in there. That's not my worry. It's my worry is, are we ever going to fly out of there? So, so there were a lot of <laughs> tension like this. So I think that uh, I must say Andrew is uh, really to be given a lot of credit. Monsignor Sanchez Sarandos, who is the Chancellor of the Pontifical Academy, he works very closely with Pope Francis, and he really played a very important role. One of our colleagues, Amal, Amal, who worked with us, she's actually from Egypt. She worked day and night with Al-Azhar to get the first ever fatwa out of Al-Azhar Institute against slavery. And that was done in 2012. There was a lot of turmoil in the region, but she was at it. So I think this was really amazing. It was a teamwork. It was truly a teamwork. A wonderful team, dedicated, committed bunch of people. Well, this is a really important thread in so much of what you have realized and have been able to accomplish is that it it requires vision. It requires trusting, bridging relationships and collaboration to be able to make this level of global impact. And of course, still there's the frustration of actual implementation and scale. Like how do we get this to really take hold what do you think is necessary to really begin to make headway and get to the finish line on this by 2030? And does inner work play any role in that? Yeah, I think inner work and technology. 
plays a huge role in it. I think one thing that Corona has taught us more about, at least a lot of people I know, is both these things, technology and inner work. Because when we were alone for over a year, when there was so much uncertainty, so many of us have lost our loved ones, or at least have them in very critical condition, we realize that there's nothing between us being here and our life moving forward, whatever our belief may be. And I think we do need to take time out from the hustle bustle of the world and look inside and see ourselves and understand what is the purpose of our life. Where are we heading in this life? What is our purpose moving forward? What are we leaving behind for generations to come? Are we a net giver or a net taker in this life and a journey that we came into? So it's very critical to understand and to work on yourself and to do a bit of inner work. I also think technology is going to make a huge, huge difference. And I think for us to get comfortable with connecting with people through Zooms and other softwares is going to take a while, but I think we can start feeling very comfortable very quickly and we'll remove the boundaries for ourselves and make us a lot more efficient. I think it can make a very big difference. In terms of technology, I understand this plays a role in your philanthropic work in healthcare. Can you tell us more and maybe share an example of what that looks like? So in my philanthropic work, we are really going to double down on technology for 8.7. Goal number 8.7 is about ending modern day slavery. We are also looking at technology for 8.5 and 8.6. And I think education for employment, which was founded by Ron Bruder, one of the GPC members, has done amazing. I mean, he's an example to look at how he has made a huge impact in the Middle East and North Africa. And now I'm sure technology is going to make a huge difference in training people long distance, getting people ready for new jobs. So 8.5, 8.6, uh, which is about youth unemployment and job creation, can be helped a lot using technology in education and training. 8.7 which is ending modern-day slavery, can be again helped with blockchain to see the supply chain audits to ensure that there is no slavery in your supply chain, facial recognition to ensure that we can reduce human trafficking and bring out the missing people. And there are many roles that cybersecurity can play in making sure the transactions are being secure and we can stop the trade of human trafficking. So there is a lot that can be done in there. Now, as far as healthcare concerned, that's my business. Our focus is to truly democratize good quality healthcare, especially in the developing world. Our focus for the region is MINASA, Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. Over here, we are using technology for remote monitoring. We will not be able to build enough hospitals for billions of people over here in the next 25 years. But what we can do is use technology and create millions of sustainable jobs by training nurses, caregivers, and use technology and provide them with telemedicine from around the world and reduce the cost of good healthcare by increasing the efficiency in the healthcare system. So technology does play a very important role in my life right from the beginning, from the days where I was doing air conditioning work 
to the days when I built the Emerson Financial Tower, which is still in the Guinness Book of World Record for the world's largest robotic parking. Wow, you're working on so many different fronts, from modern-day slavery to employment to healthcare and the use of technology. What would you say is the common thread that runs through all of these from the perspective of your purpose and what you want to do versus what you have to do? What's driving all of these different fronts? You know, looking at it, it is only one business that I'm looking at, and that is sustainable economic development that leads to job creation. If you have jobs, you will have lesser people in slavery. As a matter of fact, when you take people out of slavery, you must provide them with the job, a decent job, otherwise they're going to fall back into slavery. Hence, they are part of the same chain that humanity can progress if we look at sustainable economic development. So for me, the common ground is this. You spoke earlier about how inner work really can help you in building a sense of connection and trusted relationship with others. Have you had an opportunity to do that kind of deep connecting relationship building with those who are really living the challenges of these issues? I can do a lot more. I need to do a lot more. But some of the work that I have done included me moving out of my house into the labor camp where my construction workers were living. And I started to live with them, sharing the room with them. I started to check myself a little bit. And I started to question the fake in me and started to doubt that, you know, I am generally a polite person, but walking through my own building saying hi to the security and everybody else, I stopped and I came back and realized that's a fake action. I said hi and I walked by. I didn't even care about how that person felt. I actually said, hi, how are you doing? And I didn't stop to listen how he was doing. And I didn't even know who this guy is, what's his name, how many kids he has, where does he come from, even though I see him for years. And then, then I realized that, yeah, the facade that I've created around myself is the fake in me, and I need to address it. It's not going to go away. I used to go to see my construction workers every three months, but I used to go to see them in the afternoon. In the afternoon, most of the people are at work, any construction worker in the labor camp during that time is hiding from us because not turn up at work, so he's already playing sick. So he's guilty, never going to complain. If I ask, how are you doing? They're like, oh, very well, thank you. The food that was prepared for them, I would eat it with my staff. That was actually their dinner that I'm having for lunch. It really tasted good because it's fresh, but these guys will be coming from work at night, and by that time it may not be as good. So I really didn't see the true side. And when I, the day I started to look at the fake in me, the same evening after I did my sports, I requested my staff not to drop me home, but just to drop me off to the labor camp along with my sports bag. And I don't want to come back home for a few days. And that's when I went in and I shared the room with them, the showers, the meals, the hanging out together using the bus to go to work. And I used to get picked up from the construction site by my driver to get, take me to office. But I used to take the ride to the construction site with them. And it did give me a bit of sense of 
how I could connect with these beautiful people. And I really did connect with a few and we're still very connected. And that opened my own heart and mind to be able to connect with people even more. There's a complete list of taxi drivers that I have on my mobile contact network. They contact me for something or the other and I'm lucky enough and I feel myself fortunate enough for them to be able to connect with me or call me and come over and have a coffee with me sometime. And I think that helped me. That incident helped me. That is an amazing story. How did that translate into or transform the work that you're doing now? You know, Gretchen, I really don't see the boundaries between what I feel and what I do as in story part of it versus the reality part of it and how it helps as one particular thing. I think overall, if you can be yourself, and you'll be making a lot of stupid mistakes, but you are who you are. You are yourself. You know, you are not a perfect human being. You're stupid. You know, you make dumb mistakes. You can be impatient. You could be greedy. We are a bit of all of that as well. As long as we can reduce the worst side and improve the better side, it does help. And I think to be yourself without fearing how it's going to benefit you, if you just stop worrying about that, I think it does make a lot of difference in your life. Whatever work you're doing, whether you're building a relationship, whether you're doing philanthropy, whether you're doing business, you know, people sense it. People sense your honesty and sincerity. And there's nothing to be ashamed of if we are wrong or if we don't know something or if we can't afford something. We're just going through a phase of life. We're just going through a journey. Really extraordinary and simple wisdom that we could all live by more frequently. What's next for you that you're most excited about right now? I'm really excited about Countdown 2030. We want to start doing a serious countdown between 2030 and 2021 every year to try to see, do some stock taking on how we're really progressing to these amazing SDGs that were announced with all fanfare. And who's answerable for them? 193 countries were signatory to this. But what about the action? Is anybody bothered about action, which are the countries that are really showing some action. So I'm really excited about having more discussion on it and using technology to see how much of an impact we can make. And I think we need to all double down on our efforts because I think we are all a, a lot more enabled with technology, with resources and awareness. And there are a lot of people who are now aware of this problem of slavery, are aware of the importance of goal aid, and I can see how there will be a lot more support over the next few years. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also very excited about how we are progressing in our healthcare and how it's making an impact and saving lives. That feels so amazing. It doesn't feel like doing business. It's so rewarding. Well, how can people who want to learn more or join your efforts find out more and connect with you? They should join the Global Sustainability Network. There will be a lot of support that we will be expecting from all over the world to achieve our targets together. And also identify organizations that are involved with Goal 8, either with sustainable economic development or job creation or youth unemployment or ending modern day slavery especially. If you know of anybody, please lead them to go and join Global Sustainability Network. That would be a big help. That network itself, we'll be able to help 
everybody increase their capacity in capacity building we can increase their network efficiency fundraising etc so we will support in every way possible by building a common platform for collaboration thank you raza it has been a sheer pleasure having a chance to hear your stories your passion for your cause and the deep wisdom with which you are pursuing it thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today thank you so much gretchen thank you for inviting me for this Cultivate the Soul is presented by Synergos, copyright 2021. To learn more, visit Synergos.org and find more episodes at Synergos.org slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.